0: Quaker Thomas Kelly, years ago, wrote these words. The heart is stretched through suffering and enlarged. But oh, the agony of this enlarging of the heart, that one may be prepared to enter into the anguish of others. Yet the the way of holy obedience leads out from the heart of God and extends through the valley of the shadow. I'll come back to a little bit of this in a moment. But that first line, the heart is stretched through suffering and enlarged. Ruth Adams last night messaged me, and she wanted to know what I was going to preach on. She says, I want to know whether I need to wear steel-toed shoes if you're going to step on my shoes. I said, probably not for this one. And I gave her that line, basically is what I was going to speak on. What I didn't tell her, though, because I guess maybe even I was finding my own inability to find words to express it, was I'm going to try to jump into this whole idea of suffering. It's not a topic you just bring up around people if you want to keep them around. What would you like to talk about? Well, let's talk about suffering. Well, that will end the conversation pretty quick. But I think in many ways we don't often talk about it or even have a good theology of it when it comes to church. When we were in in Muncie, Indiana, we attended a a small friends meeting. I was was assistant superintendent, Dayspring Friends. And the church had just gone through a really bad split. Uh, And it was still bleeding, um, if you will. Uh, Relationships had been uh, wounded. Uh, Family members had wounded each other in terms of leaving the church. And we were down to about 15 to 20 people. And it was tough. It was hard. And I was there probably one Sunday out of the month, traveled on the other three Sundays. Um, But I tried to be there as much as I could because of the situation. So one Sunday, the young song leader gets up. And I knew him from camp when I was one of his camp counselors. And he was trying so hard. But he gets up and he says, on this first hymn, let's put a smile on her face. And if you can't do that, just pretend. And I thought, oh, nice try. And I really understood what he was getting at, and I actually just felt very bad for him because if you've tried to lead singing in front of 15 people who just really don't want to be there, it's tough. But for a moment I thought, but why do we have to pretend? I think we're hurting here. At least this church is hurting. We were new to the situation, so Linda and I were sort of observers on the outside, trying to be encouragers. I remember feeling not very much like pretending and thinking, why can't we just gather everything that we feel into a spirit of worship? So it seems that it's hard to talk about the tough stuff, especially in church. It's difficult to admit it, to face it, and so we either end up faking it or we pretend and we bury all that stuff deep in our soul. The truth is we do suffer. We suffer in different ways and in varying degrees, now one person's suffering may be than, may be different than another person's, and they are in varying degrees i wouldn 't call them levels anyone's like anyone is worse than another because when it 's you, it feels very tough. There are those who suffer loss, those who suffer the loss of a loved one, loss of a job, loss of physical capability, loss of marriage, those who suffer from depression can be very debilitating there's Those who suffer from chronic anxiety, excessive worry, long-term illness. Those who suffer from addictions and those who suffer from chronic pain, and I mentioned that this morning. A kind of pain that is real and not just in their head. And I think maybe one of the reasons that those who suffer chronic pain suffer is because it's hard to convince other people that they're suffering because it just doesn't look like they are according to others. And then there are what I call the silent sufferers. Those are people that I have conversations with almost every week. People who suffer many of this, but they don't know how to tell people. They don't know how to talk about it. It's embarrassing. Have feelings of shame. Maybe they have an addiction. Maybe their marriage is in trouble. Maybe they are depressed. Uh, Maybe they have excessive worry and anxiety and anxiousness. But it's so hard for them to talk about it because if they do, they're afraid what? People will think less of them. And so they suffer in a very silent way and almost don't have anywhere to take it. And this happens to very good and faithful, spiritually devoted people. In fact, it can happen to anyone. It's really no respecter of of any person, of faith or unfaith. Suffering happens. To be sure, some get more than their fair share, and I will grant that. And others have sort of a brief run-in with it. But soon we find out that coming to faith and becoming a Christian does not give us an exemption from suffering. It happens. And then sometimes we end up processing it in two unhelpful ways. We give glib reasons for suffering which we think will either comfort the person or ourselves. We just don't know what to say or we just avoid the subject altogether. And we look at it and we don't look at it. We don't admit it. We just don't deal with it. So, it is a part of life. We can't escape it, although we may simply try to. If we see it on the news, the suffering that's around us, we turn the channel, we turn the TV off, we turn the radio off, we shut the paper. We try to avoid it, but it's around us. So when I think of suffering, I find this. It both confronts me and it invites me. And this is kind of the core of what I want to share for a few moments. Suffering confronts me and it invites me. And and, and I'll share this with you, and if it resonates with you, good. If it doesn't, well, then maybe there's a way that it confronts and invites you as well. Suffering confronts my arrogance and my ready-made answers, and it invites me to be humble in the face of the questions and mysteries of life. In other words, sometimes I just don't know, and I don't know why. And when I first came out of seminary in college, I thought I was supposed to know the answer to everything. That's why you got the degrees. After 30-plus years, I've realized that that is a lot of arrogance on my part, That I have an answer to everything. Sometimes I just don't know why things happen and why they happen to people. But it humbles me. It makes me realize that there are questions and mysteries of life that I have no answers to. It invites me to go deeper in my faith. You know, one of the favorite shows I like to watch when I can't sleep is How It's Made, because I just like to know how it's made. It's a weird thing. I mean, it's just fascinating to me. So, Oh, that's how you make a screwdriver. That's how you make a bicycle. Oh, okay. That's how you do this. So in some ways, it would be great to know the how of everything, but I find that sometimes there is no how or why. It just is. Suffering confronts my need to fix things and invites me to practice simply being present and open my heart in compassion. I'm a fixer. I want to fix it for you. I want, to, I want to fix things right now. But sometimes some suffering can't be fixed right away, if at all. Sometimes it just has to be endured, or sometimes it has to be experienced. And what I find it invites me to be present and open with a heart of compassion. We can't fix people's sufferings like we change a light bulb or we fix what's wrong with our car. Our people are people. they're human beings, they're not mechanical objects. And sometimes our need to fix is often more about us than it is the other person. This past Friday, I, I had a wedding, a very small wedding. Um, and as I was walking, as, as the groom or the bride was walking down the aisle, the groom was standing right by me on the side, of course. And as she was walking down with her father, and of course she looked very beautiful, and, and, and his eyes just lit up. I look over, and, I'm, and he's starting to cry. And I thought he was crying because she was so beautiful, which I would have thought would have been a good reason to cry. But I said, are you doing okay? He says, yeah. He says, my dad died back in February, and I wish he was here. And she still had a ways to come. She wasn't walking very fast. So this was a good time to talk. I said, I'm really, really sorry. I said, I wish he were here for you, too. Everything in me in that moment wanted to fix that for him, but I couldn't. All I could say was, I'm really sorry. That's got to be hard. I wish he were here for you, too. And in some ways, I said, maybe he is. We just don't know how, but maybe he is. Suffering confronts that need to fix it, and sometimes you just have to be present and be that compassionate presence. Now, suffering confronts my tendency to only trust God in the good times, invites me to open myself to trusting God in the hard and difficult times as well. I am spiritually mature and spiritually energized, and I am spiritually on fire when everything is going well. But when things start to go south, well, then somehow this spiritual stuff just doesn't seem to work. It's like it's supposed to fix everything. But what I realize is I am invited to say No. Maybe in those moments, trusting is a lot different than what I had thought before. Trusting is just not about a cause and effect. If things are going well, then you trust. Trusting is about being present to God and inviting God and realizing God is present among us even when it isn't going well. Now, I have to admit, quite honestly, on this point, I'm on thin ice because my hard times and difficult times may not be as hard and difficult as your times are. And you may be thinking to yourself right now, easy for you to say. See, that's why suffering is such a hard thing to engage in, because we're all at various places. But all I can say for me is it does confront my tendency to only trust God in the good times and invites me to open myself to trusting God in the hard times as well. And then, finally, suffering confronts my tendency to think that life can be airtight and problem-free and invites me to realize that to be human is to be vulnerable to the pain and harshness of life. Life isn't airtight. I'm discovering that. And as long as we are alive, as long as we are breathing, as long as we are walking and present in this world, we're going to find that it can often be a harsh place. It can be a very tough place to be. But sometimes that's, I don't know, the price we pay, or that's the risk we take with being vulnerable and being alive and having feelings, is it's going to affect us at times. And maybe sometimes I am willing to accept that trade-off and said, I would rather feel and rather be present to life and risk that than to be comfortably numb and just completely shut myself off and never feel that again. It is a huge risk. Suffering invites me to think about that risk and to take it and to see where I end up on the other side. This passage that Dina read, it reads more like poetry with imagery abounding. It's not something you can dissect. It's not something you control and you try to wring meaning out of it. It's more a passage that you sit with and you let it speak to you whatever it needs to speak to you, particularly to your condition. And I'm not going to go into full depth. Partly we don't have enough time. Partly it's a big passage. But I would say this. If there's any one particular verse in that passage that stood out to me as I read it, it was the first one. I believe that the present suffering is nothing compared to the coming glory that is going to be revealed to us. I believe that the present suffering is nothing compared to the coming glory that is going to be revealed to us. I had to get my arms around that word glory. It means a lot of things in the Bible. It means, it means uh, uh, splendor. It means majesty. But one word it also means is beauty. For something to have glory, it has beauty. That has splendor. And in a general sense, when we reflect the glory of God, we reflect the true essence and nature of God, and we reflect the beauty of God. So I put that word beauty in that verse, and here's what it spoke to me. I believe that the present suffering is nothing compared to the coming beauty that is going to be revealed to us. In other words, God's intent is always to bring something beautiful out of the mess, both for all of creation and for our life. And although in this creation there is groaning going on, and we hear the groans in people's sufferings, we hear the groans around us, we hear the groans in the world, but we trust that God can bring something beautiful out of this mess you remember the passage, there's an imagery in there about how all of creation is in groaning as in labor pains. In other words, it's as if God is trying to birth something new into this world. God is trying to birth something new into this world through the pain and the suffering and the hardship and the challenge and the trust is sometimes we don't know what that is. Sometimes out of our own suffering, God will birth something new. Sometimes out of the suffering in this world, God will birth something new. Sometimes out of the suffering that communities go through, that cities go through, that congregations go through, God is going to birth something new. We have no idea what that is, but that is the trust part. That is the hope part, that the suffering doesn't have the final word. This is not the end. That God can birth something new out of that. And this is God working for our good for creation's good, for the good of all. And some of the most beautiful souls, and I do mean this sincerely, some of the most beautiful souls I have ever known are the ones that have come through suffering and hardship all by the grace of God. They are some of the richest, deepest, most beautiful souls I have ever known. Thomas Kelly says, the heart is stretched through suffering and enlarged. But all the agony of this enlarging of the heart that one may be prepared to enter into the anguish of others. Yet the way of holy obedience leads out from the heart of God and extends to the valley of the shadow. I want to end with some lyrics. I don't listen to much Christian music. I don't mean hymns. I mean contemporary Christian music. It's just my own style and taste. Some of it I find helpful. Some of it just doesn't work for me. But I came across this husband-wife group, duo. Um, I don't know their first names, but I came across them through some other friends. Their last name is G-U-N-G-O-R, Gunger, I guess. And I began listening to them Friday and yesterday. Some of the most beautiful lyrics I've ever heard, some of the most beautiful music that I've ever heard that really fed my soul. But there was one particular song I kept playing over and over again. I won't read the whole lyrics, just a portion of them, but the name of the song was Beautiful Things. And here's how it starts. All this pain, I wonder if I'll ever find my way. I wonder if my life could really change it all, all this earth. Could all that is lost ever be found? Could a garden come up from this ground at all? You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of us. I think that's the glory of God being revealed, is making beautiful things out of this suffering and hardship. Whatever it is, however hard it is, and that's the hope part. That's the faith part. That's the trust part, and that's the invitation I think God offers us when those moments happen and those journeys occur in our life.